Hello everybody and welcome back to The Money Stop and we are smack dab in the middle of silly season. With Cole Cusimano, I'm Steven Cusimano and we are so glad to be back with you for season two of The Money Stop after Cole what was really just the most fitting ending to a season that we could have possibly had in 2021 with The Money Stop leading to Kyle Larson being the much deserving 2021 NASCAR Cup Series champion and so I mean, from that standpoint, it was a very successful first year of the podcast, and we're so thrilled to be back with Season 2. And Cole, uh, how have things been on your end? We haven't spoken, at least on the airwaves of this podcast, in a couple of months, so catch everybody up to speed with how things have been for you. Been pretty good, just kind of waiting for this next season to start up again. I'm sure, like you, I'm, I'm just uh, dying for this this uh, to get some more NASCAR action coming, especially with the next-gen car on the way. But been pretty good. Just been writing some stories, making some graphics. I had one come out uh, last week, actually, with uh, a few graphic designers across the sport talking about the uh, the number of placement changes for 2022 and how that kind of impacts their jobs. So I talked with one of the more renowned graphic artists in the sport right now, Kyle Sykes from Trackhouse Racing. Uh, he's ha- had plenty of cars featured in the the dime nickel or dime segment last season, and uh, he's had some really cool ones come out this year talk with also Justin Harris at JGR and Kyle Williams who works for the decal source uh, he makes he basically is a contractor for a bunch of teams and has made I think 119 121 paint schemes for the 2021 season so uh, that was a really fun story to get out there um, I have another one on the way actually which should be due out right before the season begins on the four generational drivers being Chase Elliott Ryan Blaney Todd Yolen, Harrison Burton this will be the first time uh, come the Daytona 500 that all four families will be racing at the NASCAR in NASCAR's Premier Series uh, in a, basically about a decade. So uh, got thoughts from Todd Gilliland, going to be speaking with Harrison Burden at the Phoenix Tire Test here next week. And I will be getting some comments from uh, Chase Elliott and Ryan Blaney as well. So I'm really excited about that one. Um, other than that, just been applying for some jobs in the sports industry, not specifically NASCAR, but NASCAR, baseball, hockey, all facets of the industry, um, just to kind of get my uh, sports journalism degree some use. So uh, just been very busy, but having some fun. Yeah, and you mentioned all the stories you've been writing. I mean, it, it's all very timely stuff, and we've got so much to cover in this episode because, you know, we mentioned in our last episode of Season 1 how we would be back to kind of just recap how things were going silly season-wise, and, you know, this is kind of the, the same story every year in terms of drivers changing teams and changing cars and different rule changes, but this year in particular really feels like, a you know, a new era, and that's obviously it's one of the big storylines coming into this season with the fact that it, it's almost overwhelming with how much change is going on between, as you mentioned before, the next-gen cars, the next-gen drivers with the different rookies and new teams, the new paint scheme uh, formats. So there's just so much to get to. I think we got to jump right into it. Uh, real quick, though, on my end of things, as far as a life update, uh, I think the last time we spoke, I had just moved down to, to St. Pete to go work for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I'm still here through the end of the month, and if you follow me on social media, you've probably seen I'm actually moving back up to nearby our old stomping grounds in New Jersey to go work play-by-play for a New York Yankees AA affiliate, the Somerset Patriots, so I'll be there for hopefully a few years and uh, continuing to go down the, the baseball path while continuing to do the money stop and NASCAR on the side. And big piece of news between the both of us, Cole, that we haven't touched on, we're recording this almost exactly a month to the day from when Speed Weeks begins. And I am proud to say that both of us 
will be at Speed Weeks the entire time. We will not be at The Clash, which is in L.A., at the L.A. Coliseum, which we'll get to in a second, but uh, we will be at every single on-track event that takes place at Daytona International Speedway. I am so excited for you guys, and we're going with the family, so excited for you guys to see it. And, uh, you know, because I was there a couple years ago in 2020, which was the nearly fatal crash uh, at the start-finish line with Ryan Newman. And it was a very memorable weekend for me seeing that track up close and personal. And I'm so excited for you guys to see it too. But happy to say that we will be there up close and personal with all of the drivers and in the stands and everywhere in between with our first real Speed Weeks experience. So first of all, Cole, why don't you just talk a little bit about how exciting that's going to be? Honestly, I can't even put into words how excited I am and how excited I am getting even more so just because we have the next-gen test next week at Phoenix, which I'll be attending uh, from the media side, so I get to see the cars up close in person. But mm-hmm. I was telling you a couple days ago, I think more than anything, I'm excited to go to Speed Weeks in general more mm-hmm. than the 500 just because you have the duels, you have qualifying, all the different uh, practices, the, the races. You just get to see this new car in action, all the new drivers with the new teams, the different series. And outside the cup, I think Xfinity and Trucks had tremendous seasons last year. Mm-hmm. I think some of the best we've seen in like almost a decade. So just a very exciting time. Uh, I went to Florida for the first time, I, I want to say, in like 15-plus years uh, to go see you in Tampa Bay uh, for New Year's Eve. And the weather there was – I could not believe how nice it was. <laughs> it was like in the 80s, 85 degrees. So I can't even imagine how Daytona Beach is going to feel come February – with those uh, cars ripping around that two-mile track. It's going to be an unbelievable experience. I cannot wait. And there's just so much to look forward to, as you mentioned, with the next-gen car, all the changes, all the, the the next era for the new drivers. It's going to be a blast. Yeah, it really is amazing to think about how <laughs> how far we've come in the sense that these are speed weeks. You know, These are all of the, the on-track events, the, the duels and uh, the exhibition races and qualifying. These are the events we used to like try to cut out of school for during uh, early to mid-February to go watch at home. And now we're, you know, we're at a point in our lives where we're going to be able to be there. And you really could not possibly ask for a better year to be at speed weeks because of all of the change in the sport. We get to see the first race weekend, uh, you know, points racing weekend with the next-gen car and with all of these new drivers with their new teams and the new paint schemes. And, and again, you couldn't ask for a better a better first time to experience Speed Weeks than this time. So with that, let's get into it. And I guess let's start with the Clash, Cole, because we talked about this is obviously the exhibition race that's always run the week before Daytona. So this will be the run the week before the Super Bowl, February 6th. And obviously the big news is that it is at the L.A. Coliseum, one of the most prestigious and well-known sporting venues in the world. And they built the track in there. We've, we've gotten to see you know, some different videos and pictures on Twitter of what it's looking like. And the really the thing that sticks out to me on top of the fact that you've got the L.A. Coliseum as your backdrop. And by the way, they just announced that uh, Ice Cube is going to be the race break entertainment. And I think there's going to be more forms of entertainment that, that come out. So they're going with the L.A. theme there. And it's, it's going to be kind of a similar vibe to the Super Bowl from that sense that you're going to have a race break performance, kind of like the halftime performance. But in any event, the thing that stuck out to me about the track is just how small it was. I, I don't remember the exact dimensions, but you can probably correct me on this, but I'm pretty sure it's even smaller than Martinsville, which is just crazy to think about. Yeah. And so that's a, a race that is going to be so exciting. Again, not a points-paying race, but the first one that is in the next-gen car, it's going to be unbelievable. 
it's I'm excited for I really am. Um I think there was a lot of division and there still is with this event, but the thing is it's an exhibition race and th- there's no points on the line. It's uh and yes, it is shorter than Martinsville. And there's only two and a half degrees of banking. I just think this looks like a really big time event and it's gonna be very exciting to see how it plays out because it has this Bowman Gray stadium type vibe, mm-hmm. um, which you're kind of used to seeing uh with grassroots racing in North Carolina on the East Coast and um you're kind of blending that with modern day and branching out to a new audience with LA in the West coast, which is something that NASCAR has been trying to do for a long time. And I think they've done successfully in moving the championship to Phoenix and getting uh, those really important Vegas races during the postseason and such uh, in the spotlight. So I think this is another really good step. It's the week before the Super Bowl, which is huge being played at SoFi stadium, just miles away. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the big, biggest thing for me, my only concern is that there's been a, a, a ongoing conversation about how there may not be enough cars produced to field a full season with the next-gen car. Mm-hmm. I want to know how these drivers and teams are going to tackle this event, knowing there is kind of a limit on what they have as far as resources, because um, it is an exhibition event to short track, so the, the cost for damage might not be as severe. But we've seen wrecks at Martinsville and Bristol where you know, you're taken out really early and, and there's been some really crazy wrecks. So I just don't know if it's going to be a, a cautious event, if drivers are going to lay it all on the line or what that's going to look like. But you mentioned the halftime performances uh, from, from um, Ice Cube. Pitbull will also be performing. And there will also not be any live pit stops, kind of similar to the Bristol Dirt race, which was not an exhibition event last year. So um, there's a lot of factors at play, a lot of experimenting that NASCAR is going to be doing. And... For those who are skeptical on it, just know it's an exhibition event. There's no points in the line. Just have fun with it. Yeah, and it's been interesting to hear the thoughts from some of the drivers when asked about the lack of resources and the fact that there aren't a lot of next-gen cars to, to field a full season. And a lot of them, and I think of a comment I heard recently from Joey Logano. He said that it's not going to change the way that he races. And that's obviously easy to say, but you know, while you're kind of in the heat of the moment of getting asked that question, but... At the end of the day, you only do have so many cars, and I think that that reality is kind of going to set in with these drivers. And while they may have that in mind, at the end of the day, I mean, you put 30 cars or 40 cars, however many it's going to be, on a track that small, and it's not going to matter really You know, the way they're trying to race. The track is only so big, and at the end of the day, it's not really they're choosing if they're if there's going to be some on-track incidents uh, you know you, you put that many cars on the track it's it's probably going to happen in some way or another so that's going to be exciting and like you said really cool that it's going to get a, a new set of eyes on the sport and what is really a kind of a racing rich community when you, you think about the fact that you've gotten racing legends like kyle larson and J- uh, jimmy johnson jeff gordon from the california area and on top of that you're getting new eyes on the sport so it's going to be pretty fun but It is that time to jump into kind of the silly season stuff and recapping which drivers went where. And once again, a lot to kind of rehash as far as the next gen stuff, going to one lug nut pit stops, as you mentioned before. But let's first just talk about which drivers are going to be in which cars. And I guess we'll start with some of the rookies, Cole Harrison Burton, who is making the the jump finally from the Xfinity series to the Cup Series, he will be taking over the famed Wood Brothers number 21 car. Matt DiBenedetto no longer has a full-time Cup Series ride. Of course, that was one of the waning storylines at the end of the 2021 season. He will now be racing for Rackley full-time in the Truck Series. But really, looking at this from a Cup Series perspective, Cole, 
Harrison Burton jumping into some really good equipment in uh, that 21 car, and it's going to be a pretty stacked rookie class. Yeah, I am not entirely sold on having Harrison Burton come to the Cup Series at this point in time, only because, first off, I want to clear the air and say he's a great driver. I just think that he needs a little bit more time in Xfinity or the developmental series to hone his craft, only because it's a very tough series. And I, I just think that what we saw last year wasn't very convincing for me that he was ready for a full-time Cup Series ride. Having said that, if you're ever going to enter the Cup Series as a rookie, this is the year to do it because mm-hmm. essentially what we're hearing is that the new next-gen car is going to level the playing field completely. Everybody's going in blindly, essentially. So even your veterans and your champions are going to be rookies in a sense. Obviously, they're going to catch on likely quicker than the rookies coming in the series now. But if you're going to be a rookie in the Cup Series, this is the year to do it. I think that he'll put in a really decent showing. I think this is going to be one of the most competitive Rookie of the Year battles we've seen in a long, long time. you got Harrison Burton in the 21 car for Wood Brothers Racing, Austin Sindrick in the 2 car for Team Penske as Brad Kozlowski moves over to Roush Fenway-Kozlowski Racing in the number 6 car, and then we're going to have Todd Gilliland in the number 38 for Front Row Motorsports as Anthony Alfredo moves down to the Xfinity Series on a part-time basis for our motorsports. So Gilliland, Burton, Sindrick, three really, really big names. And I think it's kind of hard to pinpoint who is going to be the uh, the winner come the end of the season. But if I had to bet any money on it, I would say uh, Austin Sindrick, and I think he gets a win at some point in 2022 also. Yeah, and you, we talk about all of the storylines heading into this year. And, and me personally think about what my favorite one is. I am definitely on board with the fact that I think that this next-gen car is going to even the playing field, like you said, and we're going to see the these races really put in the hands of the drivers, more so than any time ever before, and you never know. I mean, sometimes you see, you know, in past next-gen cars, like when they rolled out the COT back in 2008 and 2007, there were certain drivers like Jimmy Johnson and Kyle Busch who were just dominating that era of the sport. So on one hand, you could see something like that happen. But on the other hand, I don't think something like that's going to happen. I, especially with, you look at some of the, the lap times that we've seen come out of these test sessions at Daytona and other tracks with this next-gen car. It really looks very even. And so that's, for me personally, that's my favorite storyline. But I want to ask you about some of those driver and team changes that you just talked about. You kind of touched on the rookies there, but let's move on to Brad Keselowski and Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing. You mentioned it. He is leaving uh, Team Penske, Austin Sindrick taking over that number two car. And this is kind of, in, in my opinion, when I look up and down this list of driver changes, this is the biggest one to me in terms of impact because you're getting a really promising driver in that two car, promising young driver, a former Xfinity Series champion. And you've got Brad Keselowski jumping into an ownership stake in Roush Fenway Racing, turning it into RFK, driving the sixth car. So I'm curious, Cole, what what do you expect out of Brad this year? Because a lot of times you see the first year where you know you're you're racing for your own team, it can be a little overwhelming. But early on, you know, look in cases of guys like Tony Stewart, it, it can result in a championship like he did back in 2011. But then there's the flip side of the coin and having the kind of season that Denny Hamlin did last year, his first season co-owning 2311 racing. And so it can be a lot of work, but I think in my opinion, at least Brad Keselowski is up to the challenge. And just thinking about the fact that, again, it is very an even playing field. I think that the cutting edge minds of this sport are going to kind of come off the truck this season 
with the quickest speed, and I would certainly consider Brad to be one of the most intelligent minds in the sport, and I think he's going to be dedicating a lot of time and manpower to making RFK one of those teams that comes off the truck really quick, and so that would be my perspective on it, but what do you think about the success that Brad Keselowski may have this year with RFK Racing? Normally, I would say temper expectations with a new team and a new team owner, but what we've seen from Roush Fenway Racing in the past five-plus years is mediocrity, and Brad Keselowski will not settle for mediocrity. I think he is one of the brightest minds in the sport. They are getting a significant boost, not only with on-track performance and assistance from him and his intellect, but um, from the business side as well. Keep in mind, this is a guy who owns a digital printing company, which was formerly Brad Keselowski Racing, so he has experience from the team owning, the team owner side of things. Uh, he's one of the most well-spoken drivers in the garage area, one of the most intelligent drivers in the garage area, and I think people know that. And if the new car really is putting the driver in control, I think Brad Kostowski is going to see a lot of success with Roush Fenway Kostowski Racing. And not only that, but I also think from a development standpoint, this really uh, benefits Chris Busher, who's had definitely a bump in success over the last two years or so. So that's going to, I think, bring out the best in him. I think Brad Kostowski's presence is going to bring out the best in everybody. He's going to elevate this team to a whole new level in all facets of the of the uh, industry. So I think that this is a, a really big pairing uh, between Roush and, and Brad Kozlowski. I also want to touch on Kurt Busch for a second because I think that Kurt Busch moving to 2311 Racing is going to take that company to the next level because Kurt Busch, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated drivers in the sport. He's a former champion. He's driven for prestigious teams, driven for uh, middle-barrel teams. He's driven for like really, really low-graded teams. And he's done well with what he's been given. He can really drive with whatever he's dealt. And I think that that's going to really benefit the growth of 2311. It's going to benefit Bubba Wallace's driver development more than anything, which is huge. Um, they're getting a, a great sense of leadership and a, uh, a really, really good on-track talent in Kirk Bush. So I think actually kind of two very similar parallels between uh, the benefits of getting Kirk Bush with 2311 and Brad Kozlowski with Roush Fenway Kozlowski Racing. Yeah, you mentioned Kurt Busch. He's going to pilot that 45 car for 2311 Racing, and that's going to be another really fun storyline to track. And like you said, very similar kind of circumstances for both of those two teams. And you brought up a good underrated point about the success that this could bring a guy like Chris Busher for Roush Fenway Kozlowski Racing. I feel like a lot of people are overlooking the fact that we could see a boost in performance from that 17 team as well. But looking at Kurt Busch's former car, the number one car for Chip Ganassi Racing is no more. If you remember... Chip sold the team, and now the number one car belongs to Trackhouse Racing. That'll be the second car in their stable, along with the number 99 of Daniel Suarez, which was new last year. And piloting that number one car is going to be Ross Chastain. I think that a guy who both you and I, Cole, can both agree that is going to have a good season this year. He's made leaps and bounds throughout the early part of his Cup Series career, and I think that you look at the success that Trackhouse Racing had early in its first season, and I think that it means all good things for Ross Chastain and that team. I agree. I think that's a rock-solid foundation, too, to have Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez as your two centerpieces for that second-year team is huge because both drivers, uh, they are definitely aggressive on the track, and I think they get the most out of whatever equipment they're driving. And we saw a huge step forward in performance throughout the year from Ross Chastain last season. Same can be said for Daniel Suarez uh, with that new team. So I think that there's going to be uh, some really competitive races for them. I think they're going to be a, uh, a borderline top 10 team on a weekly basis come the end of the year. 
And who knows, maybe the one of these guys can snag a win in 2022. And you did touch on it when we first got onto this topic, Cole. Todd Gilliland going over to Front Row Motorsports in the 38 car, which is a car that really, in, in recent years, it hasn't seen a lot of success. It was piloted by Anthony Alfredo last year, but Todd Gilliland, a driver that I've always had a lot of confidence in, and we've kind of started to see him come on a lot more in recent years, especially you look at the truck series last year. What do you expect out of Todd Gilliland this year? You know, it's tough to say just only because I am very high on Todd Gilliland. I think he, he had a tremendous 2021 season. And in my opinion, I thought he could have easily won the championship. I thought he was one of the better trucks to end the season. But we've seen a lot of progression out of him. A lot of people had him written off at a very uh, young age, which is really kind of depressing to say because he's only 21 years old. Keep that in mind, 21 years old. He's been in the sport for a long time between ARCA and trucks. Good point. And making the jump to the Cup Series at 21 years old at this time specifically is going to be huge. Only because, like I said, he had that really good 2021 season, big increase from 2020, and going with the next-gen car, I think it's a good time to get into the sport as a rookie. I think that we've seen Front Row take a big step forward between not only Cup, but also the Truck Series as well. So I think that organization as a whole um, has really took taken the next next step. We saw the win from Michael McDowell last season, the playoff appearance as well, uh, multiple top 10 performances. I think that people aren't giving Todd Gillum the credit he deserves. I think he's going to have a really competitive season and kind of give uh, maybe Austin Center to run for his money and Harrison Burton run for his money at the uh, Rookie of the Year battle. I tend to agree with you there. Like I just mentioned how I, I think I have a lot of promise in Todd Yoland, and he's kind of just under the radar right now because you have those two maybe more flashier names because of their success in recent years in the Xfinity Series and Harrison Burton and Austin Sindrick. But I'm excited to see and very intrigued to see what Todd Gilliland does in that 38 car. Another one of the, speaking of under the radar moves, another one that was kind of under the radar was the fact that GMS Racing, which is one of the best teams in the truck series, is now coming up to the Cup Series and banding together with Richard Petty Motorsports to field the 42 car for Ty Dillon. And remember, Eric Jones also racing the 43 car for that team. He got a fresh contract entering this year as well. But I think that that alliance there between GMS and Petty is going to be pretty good. You see a lot of these teams kind of banding together. That was one that just makes sense, kind of in a, in a similar territory to Roush Fenway Racing, a team in RPM that had some speed, and they've really fallen off progressively as the years went on, and kind of an up-and-coming team in GMS that has had really good success in the truck series in previous years. It's a, an alliance that makes sense, and a driver in Ty Dillon that I think, you know, he's got a lot of respect from the other drivers in the garage in this sport, and that's apparent in the fact that he is going to be piloting that 42 car next year. Honestly, there's not much for me to say on that on that pairing just because I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I think it's a, a match made in heaven between these two teams. GMS Racing is one of the most prominent teams in the truck series along with Kyle Busch Motorsports. RPM, it's no secret, has been a little bit mediocre or below average over the last few years. And I think that that team and Richard Petty are going to be getting a uh, boatload and resources now. I think that having Ty Dillon paired up with Eric Jones' as teammates is going to be huge because both mm -hmm. those drivers kind of were written off early in their careers and not mm -hmm. really panned out to what they were supposed to be or touted to be. So I think that's going to be a good system for them to work on and build, build each other up. And I think it's going to be a decent season for them, you know? Yeah, and that's what I'm really excited to see. And just going through this list of teams, I really feel like 
I don't want to say gone are the days of like Hendrick Motorsports and Joe Gibbs Racing and Penske dominating because I, I definitely do think that those teams are obviously still the class of this sport. But I think between all these teams we're talking about right now, the kind of jumpstart teams, Trackhouse, Rouse Fenway, Kozlowski, Petty GMS, and 2311, I feel like between one of these teams, one of them is going to separate themselves and really turn some heads and win a lot of races this year. And it's just so tough to say with this next-gen car and all the uncertainty that comes with it. But a couple other changes to get to here. Justin Haley raced on a part-time basis for Colleg Racing at the Cup Series level last year. And maybe something people didn't expect last year. Colleg Racing had a win in the Cup Series last year, courtesy of A.J. Allmendinger at the Indianapolis Road Course. But they're going with Justin Haley full-time in that 16 car. Another piece of news that kind of got swept under the rug only because of how much turnover there is in the rest of the sport and the fact that Haley isn't joining this team in college racing. He was there last year, but he is going to be full-time now. And so it's interesting to kind of speculate on the fact that he does have a pretty good amount of Cup Series experience with this very team under his belt already. And what that kind of success can look like if he continues to evolve in the 2022 season, if college racing starts off on the right foot with this next-gen car. Yeah, this one's, and it's no surprise, obviously. I, I, we, I think he was predestined that Justin Haley was going to be Colleague Racing's cornerstone of their organization, and that he would have a, a full-time ride in the Cup Series at some point when they went Cup Racing. I haven't seen enough personally to where I feel he is Cup ready. He's been in the Cup Series for quite some time now, albeit racing for lesser-funded teams. But I think what we saw in the Xfinity Series hasn't really been all convincing. He had the Championship 4 appearance in 2020, didn't really do much there. Last year, uh, he was essentially a non-factor and outside of that, he's been a hell of a plate racer at Daytona and Talladega. But I think Justin Haley is a good driver. I don't think he's cup ready. I would have loved to have seen AJ Allmendinger get a second chance, but I don't think he wants to go in the cup series again. So, you know, I, I think from the organization's perspective, this makes the most sense only because Haley's been there from the beginning. He has had success there at the plate tracks. He has that uh, that pedigree of winning in the, in the Xfinity series to some degree. So... I think that he's a good young driver, and I think that he has a future in the sport. I just hope he's not rushed up here too soon. And, you know, we've done all this talking about teams that are kind of banding together, making alliances, and, you know, kind of joining forces. But there was also one team that downsized this offseason with, obviously, the limited resources with the next-gen car. That was JTG Doherty Racing. They have gone away from the 37 car, which was driven by Ryan Priest last year. So Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is now the only driver in that stable Ryan Priest left without a full-time cup ride, but he was named a Stuart Haas Racing reserve driver, which normally it's not big news because as a reserve driver, you're pretty much only going to be racing if, you know, driver tests positive for COVID or something like that. So it's, it's something to where the fact that he could potentially be stepping into the driver's seat of one of NASCAR's premier teams says a lot about the respect of a driver like him, and it's pretty cool to see him get that kind of recognition for one of the bigger teams in the sport. Obviously, again, just not enough resources to give him a full-time ride, but he's a guy that he's performed really well considering his circumstances over the last couple of years for JTG Doherty Racing. So it's interesting to think about how this affects Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And does the fact that there are you know more resources being allocated for that team towards one car rather than two, does that help the team? It's kind of interesting to speculate that, but just an interesting situation all the way around for both Ryan Priest and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Well, on Stenhouse, I think that's definitely going to help his benefit, um, that there is only going to be one car next season. Um, all the resources will go to him. We, you know, we've seen flashes here and there. 
at non-plate tracks where he's done well. But for the most part, it's been mainly, you know, those plate tracks. They tone it in Talladega where he really steps it up. But on Ryan Priest, I am a massive fan of this move. So what the reserve driver means is that he'll be a backup driver for Stuart Haas Racing and all the affiliates. He is guaranteed at least a minimum of 12 starts between all three series. Two cup starts, three Xfinity, and seven with the uh, truck series and David Gill and racing. He will also serve as a simulator driver, which is good for the uh, development of himself and the uh, the program over there for Ford Performance and SHR. But um, I think it's a huge turning point in his career. He is further integrating himself into the Ford Performance program with backing from a competitive team. Not to say that JTG wasn't really, but it's not quite the degree that SHR is. He's getting security and opportunity, which is huge. Mentioned 12 starts at a minimum with a chance for more for COVID and unforeseen circumstances. And keep in mind, he won at Nashville last year in the truck series in his debut driving for David Gill and racing. So that's a a huge underrated uh, storyline to this signing. And then keep in mind, both Harvick and Amarola are up there in age. Amarola also announced that he's stepping away from full-time racing after this season. So this could set up SHR very well having potentially Cole Custer, Chase Briscoe, and Ryan Priest as their foundation, because he would be in his early to mid-30s should he get the ride of the 4 or the 10. He has three years full-time cup experience, and this will give him time to hone his craft as a reserve driver, a simulator driver, and all these things, and I think it'll be a a good match for Priest and SHR. Yeah, that's a great point that I didn't really put two and two together until you mentioned it just now, but we did have Eric Almarola announce that 2022 is going to be his last season in the Cup Series, and obviously with Ryan Priest being named the reserve driver, just put two and two together, and that probably means he's going to take over that 10 car. You know, obviously you don't want to speculate too much, and there's still a full season that needs to be played out, but at the end of the day, that's kind of where the tea leaves are leading, and you just kind of also think about the fact that there's not that prodigy waiting in the wings in the Xfinity series, like when you had Chase Briscoe waiting down there, like it was a no-brainer that he was going to be taking over the 14 car. You don't really have that because you had Riley Herbst have an extremely disappointing season in the 98 car in the Xfinity series last year. So when Eric Almarola does hang it up at the end of the season, it's not like you have that slam dunk Xfinity up and comer. So it's a move that makes sense for Ryan Priest. And it's like you said, it's almost like a turning point in the evolution of his career. So good for him. One other move in the Cup Series, which wasn't really the big uh, headline buster, but Josh Bolicki is headed to Spire Motorsports to take over the 77 car. And just from a competitive standpoint, Cole, I, I really am interested to see how these lower budget teams perform this year, like like Spire Motorsports, because we did see some success from Corey LaJoy in that seven car last year, much more than I think anybody was expecting, but not even necessarily from that perspective, but just we keep using the term even playing field and not to sound like a broken record, but that's really what it feels like it's shaping up to be. And obviously talent is going to come into it a lot, but when it comes down to the bare bones product of these cars, it's kind of all going to be the same thing. So I'm interested to see how some of these lower budget teams in years past perform in what is a clean slate kind of year. I agree. And that's the biggest thing for me going into this season. I would say that's my greatest uh, expectation going into this year, seeing how these lesser teams stack up to the elite ones in years past. And I think speaking on this signing specifically, Balicki to Spire Motorsports, I think it's a really good pairing. I, I know I said that about pretty much all these silly season moves, but it really is. I think that Balicki is a very respected driver. I think he's actually very similar in a sense to Corey LaJoy in a way that he's a very gritty, 
he will get the best out of what he's given. Mm-hmm. And I think he only had like two DNFs last season, which was remarkable. He ran, a, he completed a lot of laps. Uh, so I think it's it's going to be a good pairing. I think he's going to serve the team very well in terms of preserving the equipment that they're given. It's a great point. I mean, he's kind of been like a, an Iron Man from that sense that, you know, not a lot of DNFs. And in a year where there are limited resources with this next-gen car, that's exactly the kind of driver you need if you're one of those more low-budget teams. That about covers it in the Cup Series, but there were also quite a bit of changes made in the Xfinity and Truck Series. And look at the the top of that list here. Sheldon Creed and Austin Hill, two of the top performers and a former champion in the Truck Series in Sheldon Creed's case, moving up from the Truck Series to Xfinity as Richard Childress Racing is expanding to a two-car operation in that series next year. Myatt Snyder moving over to Jordan Anderson Racing. He had piloted the number two car for RCR in the Xfinity Series last year. But that is a move that just jumps off the page to me, Cole. Extremely exciting to see both Sheldon Creed and Austin Hill jumping over to RCR, and I think they're immediately going to contend for championships. I completely agree, and you know, it's crazy because I think Sheldon Creed made his Xfinity Series debut at Phoenix during the championship weekend last year, and he had a top 10 run. He finished top 10, and I think this is going to be a really, really awesome deal for Richard Childress Racing because Myatt Snyder was a good driver. I think that Sheldon Creed and Austin Hill will elevate this team to the next level, just because they have that pedigree from the truck series. I think that they're both racers to the core. They're very gritty. They're very, uh, they, they want to make a name for themselves. You mm-hmm. know, you're going from, from the lowest series of, of racing in NASCAR to the next up before cup. And I think that both these guys have the fight. They have the desire to win. I think this is going to be, it's going to be interesting because, you know, we, we haven't seen a whole lot of RCR in Xfinity in recent years. So I think that this is going to be a, a really good pairing. Not to mention, by the way, Creed had that top 10 run, top 10 finish, driving for BJ McLeod Motorsports at Phoenix. So I can only imagine what he's going to do with RCR equipment. It's a good point. It's going to be, at least from my perspective, that's going to be one of the things I'm most excited to watch for immediately in the Xfinity series. And looking down the other powerhouse teams in that series, Colleague Racing, kind of the next big thing in, in racing from the perspective that they've really come on the scene over the last few years and had unbelievable success in both the Xfinity and the Cup Series in such a short period of time. The Crypto King himself, Landon Castle, is bringing full sponsorship with him to Colleg Racing. And then the defending Xfinity Series champion, Daniel Hemrick, also joining Colleg. So those are two moves that maybe, I don't know if I would call them unexpected, at least not in the case of Daniel Hemrick, because he is the defending champion in the sport. But in the case of Landon Castle, finally getting a really good opportunity to race for a one of the top teams in, in the sport in terms of the Xfinity Series. I'll tell you what, that is the number one signing, probably between all three series that I'm most excited to see how it plays out, because I think Landon Castle's been a fan favorite in the sport for many years. Mm-hmm. He's got 12 years cup experience. He's also another guy that's done a great job with the equipment he's been given. Mm-hmm. And I think he's finally getting a shot at college racing, which I call a team of second chances because obviously you've had AJ Allmendinger, yeah. Daniel Hemrick, and now Landon Castle. And I, I really want to see how he does with this stuff. I think he's going to have a really, really good season. And I think that college racing as a whole is going to put on a clinic. There's no next-gen car for, that, for Xfinity. It's the same thing we've been using for the last few years. And you're getting a new race winner and champion, Daniel Hemrick, who is going to be paired with A.J. Allmendinger, who had a really, really strong 2020 and 2021 season. It's going to be a really good season for that team. I really believe that. You know, speaking on Hemrick himself, he finally got that monkey off his back, winning his first race hand-in-hand with the championship. (laughs) I think he's going to go on an absolute tear and win close to 10 races next season. 
I, you know, that, that's it might sound like a bold prediction only because that was his first win as an Xfinity Series driver, but it really just felt like whenever that win was going to come that the floodgates would kind of open, especially when you think about all of the great talent that's graduating to the Cup Series this year and, and that won't be racing against him every single Saturday in the Xfinity Series. It just makes sense that you would kind of maybe see that kind of breakout, but before we get to the other teams and, and changes in the Xfinity Series, I'm curious as to where you think Junior Motorsports and Joe Gibbs Racing fall into this madness, because we just talked about those two top-notch teams in RCR, if you can consider them that, in the Xfinity Series. I think I would now with the, the talent that they've added, and obviously Colleague Racing, who you think is going to put on a clinic. Not a lot of changes in the case of Junior Motorsports, but in general, I'm curious as to where you think they fit in in the grand scheme of things in the Xfinity Series. In my opinion, I think that Colleague's going to assert, assert themselves as the top team in that series. Only because, like you mentioned, there's not a whole lot of change between both those teams. And you look at Junior Motorsports, for example. I think that their success largely resides in how Noah Gregson does. He signed a one-year extension with the team, and he had a phenomenal turnaround to, to end the year in 2021. If he can keep it up, it's going to be a really good season for them. The jury is most definitely still out on Sam Mayer, who's racing full-time. I am not sold on him. He had a really, really good ARCA career, but he was just a wrecking machine in the opportunities he was given with Junior Motorsports last year. You cannot make those mistakes with limited opportunities, and thankfully he was given a full-time chance this season, but I'm not sure. I, I just, I'm not sold on him yet. And looking at Josh Berry, there's no, there's no denying his determination and his drive to succeed in this sport in that series. I think he's going to have a really good season, but I think... Uh, Tempered expectations are to be expected just because he was a guy that made the most of opportunities with his limited seat time last year. He did a, a phenomenal job. We got, the, got the two wins, top 10 car on a weekly basis. Can he sustain that pace for a, whatever it is, 32 race season? It's it's a lot different than running 10, 11 races. So um, I think, think that's going to be another big factor. Looking at JGR now, you know, I think they've been on the decline for quite some time now. That's not a knock on Brandon Jones and Harrison Burton and whatnot, but you're losing Daniel Hemrick, who was your best driver last year, but you're also getting in return Ty Gibbs, who I think is going to be remarkable next year. I think I think mm -hmm. we what we've seen from him already has been phenomenal, and I think that he's just going to be even more so this next season. I think he's going to get close to 10 wins, similarly to uh, Daniel Hemrick. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to be a contender right at the gates and a uh, championship for luck, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you ask me what I'm most excited to see. I Obviously, I, I'm, I'm excited to see the likes of Sheldon Creed and Austin Hill in the Xfinity Series, but in that series, there's nothing I'm more excited to see than Ty Gibbs. I mean, that guy was just electric. I say that guy, that kid was just electric in his limited opportunities last year in the Xfinity Series. What did he win, four races? I mean, like, it's just yeah. unheard of to do that at his age limited basis in his debut in that series. I mean, that kid is going to set the world on fire, and I'm so excited to see what he does. There were quite a few of other changes, Cole, in the Xfinity series. I don't know if you want to get to all of them, but uh, what are some maybe, as we look down this sheet here, what are some of the other names and teams that kind of jump off the page to you? Um, You know what? There's not a whole lot that's really groundbreaking. I'm excited to see how Raja Karuth does on a part-time basis, driving for the newly formed Alpha Prime Racing uh, with Tommy Joe Martins. He is one of the fastest rising young drivers in this sport. I think he has a, a great future ahead of him. He's made waves in the Arca series uh, all across the country. And I think he's another guy 
who he's going to shape the future of the sport in a very bright way. And then how about in the truck series? We really didn't see, outside of some drivers graduating, we didn't see a ton of change in this series in terms of the drivers and teams. But one of the bigger ones that jumps off the page to me is that you've got an NFL Hall of Famer and Emmett Smith coming over and owning a team with Jesse Awuji. Yes, that's another really, really good one I'm excited for. Obviously, jumping on the bandwagon with Michael Jordan and Pitbull. You know, Jesse Awuji is one of the most respected drivers in the garage area, just given his, his background in the military and uh, his determination to the sport. So I, I'm... Curious to see how that team does. Uh, again, tempering expectations just because it is a brand new team and it's they're probably going to be kind of low on resources, but I'm very excited to see how that team just functions as a whole. And I wanna, I'm curious to see what Emmett Smith's presence is going to be at the racetrack. And then looking down the rest of this list here, Cole, we mentioned Matt Benedetto's situation at the very top of this episode. What more can you tell us about his situation there in the truck series? I think it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle. I think Rackley had some decent showings in 2021, but I don't don't think they're really an established team. I think that he can definitely elevate this team and make them um, contenders midway through the season, potentially. But I'm not expecting a whole lot. If he can snag a win, that would be tremendous. But what I'm looking for here is just uh, developing that program further and uh, taking them to from kind of an average level team to a, a contending level team. One driver I did want to touch on in the truck series was Zane Smith, who is moving from GMS to Front Row Motorsports, taking Todd Yolen's ride. This is a very unsuspecting move for me, only because I feel I thought that GMS and Team Chevy would lock him down for life. I think he's going to be one of the, the a really, really good talent in the sport for years to come. And uh, I think Ford really stole one here because I, I think he has a bright future ahead of him. I think Front Row has been on the rise, as mentioned earlier, between all the series. And I think he's going to also uh, be a contender down the stretch. And I think he'll likely make the championship four again and, and take front row to the promised lands, the next step in their career as an organization. Well, it's taking about, what, what is it, like 40 minutes right now. But that finally, that about settles up most, if not all, of the changes from the Cup Series down to the Truck Series in terms of driver and team personnel. Uh, obviously, we didn't even scratch the surface on crew chiefs, but there's only so much time in a podcast to do all that. Um, we are in the business of predictions on this show. That's kind of one of our things, and it's something that we did a lot of in Season 1. But for the sake of this episode, we're really just kind of running down the silly season changes and kind of just getting you in, in the right frame of reference in terms of which drivers are in which cars and that type of thing. We'll get to predictions on the next episode, which will come closer to Speed Weeks. But let's jump into some of the more kind of just the storylines, Cole, because we've kind of throughout the course of this this episode here, we've talked about the next gen car and, and everything that comes with that, the uncertainty, maybe leveling the playing field. But we've also touched on the various other storylines, the rookie of the year battle we might see a lot of different winners with this new car. Kyle Larson defending his title, one lug nut pit stops. I mean, between everything, Cole, what are some of the other storylines that you're looking at going into this year? I think safety is the biggest thing, obviously. Uh, you know, there's not not a whole lot out there that's known on this next-gen car. I think that Speed Weeks is going to be a huge, huge determining factor. Again, hand-in-hand hand with the inventory issues, I, I just, with the limited resources, are these teams going to really push it during Speed Weeks to see... Uh, what they have in the car. I would like to see them do that just because it could be a better on-track product, but we also need to see how these cars fare when they do get into any sort of incident because you don't want to find out come the 500 that these cars aren't the safest and you have uh, some serious injuries. I think that I, I, re I really just want to see uh, how these safety is in these cars. 
I want to see how the teams handle the resource uh, issues facing them potentially. And then I think what we've been harping on the entire show, just if this car really levels the playing field, I want to see how the Spires do, how the JTGs do, the RPMs, all those teams that aren't on that level that Joe Gibbs Racing and Team Penske and Hendrick Motorsports are on, I want to see how they do. Also, another underrated one, how does SHR rebound from the terrible 2021 season they had? It's true. I mean, there's so much to, to kind of think about from all those different perspectives. And, you know, I, I mentioned we'll get into predictions down the line in, in our next episode as the season gets a little closer. And then by that point, we'll kind of know a little bit more from what we see with the on-track product at Speed Weeks. And we'll get to see the duels and qualifying and, and we'll get to the 500 eventually. But I guess let's just have a little bit of fun with odds as we kind of get into the end of this episode here. Looking at the Daytona 500 odds, I'm just going to kind of read off some of these in the order that I see them, courtesy of DraftKings, and you can kind of let me know if anything sticks out to you. But the favorite to win the Daytona 500 is Denny Hamlin. That shouldn't be a surprise. He's won at this track more than any driver over the last few years. And so for good reason, he is the favorite at plus 850. Behind him, you've got Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott, the Hendrick teammates tied at plus 1,000 to win the 500. And then a third Hendrick teammate, William Byron, plus 1,200. Joey Logano rounds out that top five in odds at plus 1,200 as well, tied with Ryan Blaney. And then Brad Keselowski, one of the best super speedway racers, I would say, not just in the sport right now, but in this generation. He is uh, right there in the top 10 at plus 1,600, tied with Bubba Wallace, a little bit of a surprise there. And then also his new 2311 teammate, Kurt Busch, also at plus 1,600. And rounding out that top 10, you've got Kevin Harvick at plus 1,800, tied with Alex Bowman. And Kyle Busch, I kind of like that value there with Kyle Busch, but those are the top drivers in terms of uh, what Vegas is expecting to see out of the Daytona 500. Is there anything that jumps off the page to you there? Yeah, I'm very surprised to see Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott inside the top five and ahead of (laughs) Brad Keselowski. I think, you know, if this car really does put the driver in control, you're going to see a battle between Denny Hamlin Brad Keselowski, maybe Joey Logano for that for that win. Uh, but Brad Brad and uh, Hamlin, for sure, those would be my top three choices, top two, bare minimum. But, you know, I, I think that's pretty much as expected. I think Blayton Byron's also a, a really great, respected plate racer. He has a win at Daytona as well. I think, yeah, having Kyle Busch that low is also uh, a little, it's a little sleeper, I guess, in a sense, uh, if you want to place a bet on that. But at the same time, he's had absolutely god-awful luck at Daytona, specifically the 500. Um, but you could say the same thing about Brad Kozlowski, so, <laughs> um, it, you know, apples and oranges. But, you know, not a whole lot that sticks out to me, just being that it's so early. We don't really know what to expect with these cars. Denny Hamlin, number one, I would I would say absolutely. Brad Kozlowski, um, on the outside looking in him, a top five is a little bit questionable. I would put him as a top two, top three in odds. So if you're looking at Brad Kozlowski at plus 1,600, I would say if you're looking to place an early bet, Hammer that one all day. And how about some of these other sleepers? Because that was the, technically that was the top 10 that I named, but that was 13 drivers due to the 10th uh, place drivers being tied there in in odds. But you get to that next tier, and that's when you kind of get to the real sleeper category. And I'm not going to say all the odds, but this is how they are in order, at least. Austin Dillon, Martin Truex Jr., Tyler Reddick, Eric Almirola, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Austin Sindrick, Christopher Bell, Chris Buescher, Justin Haley, A.J. Allmendinger, Ross Chastain. That's kind of that next tier of drivers. And those are the sleepers. But, I, you know, I don't know if I'd be all that surprised if one of those guys won the Daytona 500. 
Oh, not at all. I, and you mentioned, uh, I believe, with Tyler Reddick and, and Stenhouse back to back, they were pretty low low on that list. I think those would be also really, really good uh, flyers to place bets on. And the last one you mentioned, I don't know how far down it was, but was Justin Haley. And he has a tremendous pedigree at these uh, pl- tracks like Daytona and Talladega. So he would be another really, really good one to put a flyer on as well. You're right. Justin Haley is plus 3000 So if you were to put 10 bucks oh. on that, it wins you $300. So that's kind of a, an extremely good value when you're looking at those there. Uh, that's thinking pretty far in advance, though. Like I mentioned at the top of this episode, we are recording this almost exactly a month away from what will be the start of Speed Weeks in Daytona. So we'll get more into the specifics of the 500 and that race weekend and kind of some of the things that we observe in person down there in Daytona. But uh, before we sign off, I do want to also mention that here on The Money Stop, we love our paint schemes. And we always talk every single week about what our nickels and dimes are, our fives and tens in terms of uh, the paint schemes we see on the track every week. And we did that for every race weekend a year ago. And so on our social media right now, We're running kind of a head-to-head tournament that's interactive called Duel of the Dimes. So it's basically a combination of some of our top paint schemes of the year going head-to-head, kind of bracket style in themed challenges. We had like Battle of the Beverages today on the day that we're recording this, had a battle of a couple of Halloween-themed paint schemes one day, and a lot of really cool paint schemes. We had a battle of Valvoline cars earlier in the week, so... If you are like us and you like your paint schemes and you want to pick your favorite paint scheme of the 2021 NASCAR season, I definitely recommend you go to at the underscore money stop on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Cast your votes, see which cars are winning. It's going to be a really fun uh, competition to see which paint scheme does end up reigning supreme in this duel of the dimes. I'm excited to see how it plays out, but uh, it's been cool to see you know a couple upsets in the first round here, and I'm not sure how you thought if there's been anything that's played out Kind of not in a way that you were expecting it too cold, but we love our paint schemes, and it's kind of cool to see which ones the fans really resonate with. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think paint schemes are a very passionate topic for a lot of NASCAR fans, and uh, they're going to get a, a facelift here in 2022. So why not begin the year off by voting for the best one from last season with that uh, number center on the door? So um, I think there have been quite a few upsets. I, I, it's been uh, really fun engaging with the fans and seeing how they reacted to the uh, the matchups. And we have a bunch more going forward with a lot of really cool paint schemes. We haven't revealed which ones are going to go head-to-head or which ones are even in the bracket. So I think that's also a, a very fun, underrated aspect of this, uh, this thing we have running. Um, right now, yeah, as you mentioned, we have the Battle of the Beverages. It's uh, Chase Elliott versus Brad Keselowski with the Aftershock car and the Keystone Light car. So another... Very tough matchup. We have some more on the way here throughout the week. And I cannot wait to see which one gets the award of Silver Dollar, best paint scheme of the year. Yeah, it's going to be fun to see. And like you said, there there is kind of a fun anticipation aspect of, you know, if you're a fan of, of paint schemes like we are, waiting to see if we picked your favorite driver's paint scheme to be in the bracket. So definitely want to stay tuned there once again at the underscore money stop. Let's end it with with one quick question, Cole. What are your thoughts on the, the numbers moving forward uh, with these cars? We kind of touched on it at the later portion of uh, 2021 in one of our last episodes, but, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm not a fan of really, I'm not a fan of it at all. And I don't want to go too deep down this rabbit hole because I've, I'm kind of passionate about it. But uh, you did a whole story on this with talking to the graphic designers and the fact that it does, it adds 
more room on the cars for sponsors, but I just think from a design wise and just somebody that loves paint schemes, it just doesn't feel right to me seeing the numbers that far up. And I don't think they've gotten creative enough with the paint schemes for the most part. So I mean, that's my perspective on it. Again, I don't want to go too deep down it, but that's kind of another one of the big storylines. There's been so many. That was one we didn't even get to touch on early in the show because um, it doesn't really affect the on-track aspect in terms of the competition side of things. But I mean, what are your thoughts on the way that, that we've seen all of these paint schemes kind of been rolling out? There's been some cool ones. I like the 12 of uh, Ryan Blaney that they revealed at the Carolina Hurricanes game uh, and a couple of other ones. But overall, not a fan, but I'm just curious to, to hear your thoughts on how this kind of rollout process has played out for rolling the numbers forward in the sport. Personally, I'm a traditionalist, and I think NASCAR is a traditional-based sport. And I think that the numbers could have stayed where they were. Just because you had that, that standard, that uniform over, uh, or since the 1950s, with, the, with that number being centered. And looking at some of the cars that have been released for this year, there have been some really creative ones. There have also been some that have been really just bland. And, um, you know, speaking with Kyle Williams, he's also a traditionalist at heart. He feels very much the same way that, that we both do and that the number should have been centered. But he commented on the on kind of the basic generic-looking paint schemes that have been released, and he's hoping that this kind of enables teams to go back to NASCAR's roots of having those uh, more simplistic but bold paint schemes. And uh, I think it's very possible just because we haven't really touched on this yet, but the body lines on the next-gen car are so aggressive and factory-specific hmm. that you're almost getting not like that much additional space with the numbers being moved forward because you have this... Um, the shelf kind of towards the rear wheel of the car, um, and that kind of distorts the logo if it goes above that. You also have the uh, the protrusions, indentations on the side of the car. You have the hood vents as well. So I guess what I would like to see is some more more stability in the sponsorship department. I want to see more Fortune 500 companies, more recognizable sponsors like we saw in the glory days of NASCAR. Give me our Miller Lights, our Mountain Dews, Budweiser's, Lowe's, Home Depot, all these big name sponsors. If we can attract more primary sponsorship throughout the season, you know, the one-off sponsors are cool. We have some really creative and, and nice designs, but I want to have those cars that you could look at the TV and go, oh, that's Jeff Gordon with the Rainbow Warrior. That's Dale Earnhardt with the, the, the Men in Black car. Like, give me those simple but iconic paint schemes on a weekly basis. I will be happy. But above anything, as long as the on-track product is good, I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. I think it'll be a, a non-factor come halfway through the season if the, if the racing's good. But I guess in summary, if we can attract some more sponsors for the long haul, get some more stability in that department, and get more simplistic designs, I'll be happy camper. Speaking on that, I, I'm, a, I'm team center of the door numbers. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's a great outlook on it. it. And it is nice back in those days to where you could – the drivers and the cars and their sponsors were so synonymous with one another and, and it just brought more fans to the sport in the sense that they wanted to root for the Home Depot car. They wanted to root for the Blue Lowe's car or, you know, there was just certain things that kind of became synonymous between driver and team and, and that really helped fans identify with a certain driver and it's hard to build that connection with the fans, especially with new fans when it's, you know, different sponsors every week and, and that sort of thing makes it kind of an evolving situation. But like you said, as long as the competition side is good, which we saw it was very competitive last year, and there's just so many question marks with that next-gen car this year, I think, like you said, people are going to forget that we were even having this conversation probably halfway through the year. So 
We'll see how that plays out. We will talk to you right around Speed Weeks about a month from now. Again, Cole and I will both be there in attendance at Daytona for all of the on-track activity. We are so excited to be bringing that content from you in person. And uh, we'll talk predictions. I mean, we went through kind of the rundown of all the changes and the storylines with this episode. And that's going to leave us with a lot of time to project what's going to happen here on The Money Stop. Because after all, this, that's what this show is all about. We want to put money in your pocket. We like to talk bets. We like to talk predictions. And we're going to get to all of that next on The Money Stop in early to mid-February. Again, thank you all so much for tuning in to the first episode of season number two, our Silly Season Rundown. For Cole Cusimano, I'm Stephen Cusimano, and we will see you next time.